Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last, and you are listening to Beyond Synth. This is episode... What episode is this? Hold on. (laughs) It's a professional one. Uh, This is episode 78. Now, that makes total sense now, because last week's was episode 77. And uh, the guest today is Pilot Priest. This is part two of my chat with Pilot Priest. Uh, One of my favorite chats. We had a really good time. It was a lot of fun because we were walking around uh, Toronto while we recorded, which is also why this episode sounds a lot different than the other episodes that I've done. But in a cool way, I think. It's it's always good to to switch things up now and then and, and make things, you know, more exciting. Exciting. I think this is exciting anyways. Uh, but um, this is part two. It was a big, long chat we had. And if you're wondering why this one is sort of formatted differently, it's just because we were having just a cool conversation and I didn't really know the right place to interrupt the talk so that I could announce songs to play. Because, you know, usually when I chat with people, you know, every few minutes we'll be like, hey, let's listen to a song and then I'll name it and we'll listen to it. But of course, if you're having a natural conversation with somebody, it feels really strange <laughs> every every few minutes to just be like, uh, and now a song, especially when we're just sitting it like, you know, on a park bench. Uh, <laughs> it's a really strange thing to do. So I didn't do it. So um, I tried as best as I could to just sort of insert tracks that we were talking about. And uh, hopefully you can all follow along at home. But that's coming up in a little bit. That is uh, part two with Pilot Priest. And uh, before we get to that, we've got some stuff to get through. You know, the regular business, the fun stuff. We got a lot of cool tracks to listen to. So how about we listen to one of those tracks now? And this is Calex and the track Lightspeed.
And that was Lightspeed by Calyx of the Metropolis album. And that is a cool song if you like cool songs. And I do. And I know you guys do too because you're listening to this show, man. And this show is where the cool songs are at. Now, you guys might not know this, but Beyond Synth is brought to you by DownToJam.com. You know, it's a free website that helps musicians around the world connect based on musical compatibility. Now, if you're a musician looking for a partner to jam with or to fill a spot in your band, you're going to want to check out this site and sign up DownToJam.com. That's D-O-W-N-T-O-J-A-M.com. And sign up. It's a good time over there, down to jam, man. You can find a splot. Uh, find a splot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at this. <laughs> hey, you know you can follow me at, at Andy Last on Twitter. That's the official Twitter account of Beyond Synth. Did you know that? That's where I post links to the new episodes, man. And um, if you want your tracks, you know, featured on the show, or you want to get in touch, then you can always uh, message me on Twitter. You can also contact me on Facebook. I'm facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast. Or you can message uh, me at SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash beyond hyphen synth and that's a cool thing to do if you ever want to send me a message or whatever you know that's a cool way to do it it's uh one-on-one and discreet did you (laughs) i think that reference might just be for people in ontario we used to have these late night dateline things like for for dating people and there would be this host and this dude was called something Bronstein and they were these late night uh, infomercials where you know they're saying like you can call me for a date or whatever but they they cast like real looking people in them so it wasn't like models it was just these sort of like dopey average looking people like I guess that was to make it seem like it was more attainable and what I don't understand to this day is if it was just a sex line I'm not 100% sure but the catchphrase that Bronstein would always say he'd be like it's confidential a one on one and discreet and he'd do like this hand motion and uh, I don't know man it's <laughs> if you want more great stories like that tune into the rest of the show or you can just skip the whole thing and go right to when I talk to Pilot Priest but if you do you are going to miss out on a lot of great music great music like the next song we're going to listen to so this is a track by Exiles and this is a really good one this is Red Lights
And that was Red Lights by Exiles. And uh, Exiles is really cool. That's a really good song. I think I found it like a few weeks ago. Or maybe it was a few months. It's tricky for me to say. You know, I always reach out to get artist permissions before I uh, play their tracks. And sometimes those messages get buried, you know, in the pile of messages. And so sometimes I'll hear some cool music and I'll be like, oh, you know, I'll write them a message and say, do you mind if I play your tracks on the show? And then it might be like four months later, I'll get the message back and they'll be like, hey, I didn't see this message in my inbox. Uh, Yeah, sure. You know, like play some tracks. At that moment, sometimes I'll just forget, right? Because I listen to so much music. I have to compartmentalize. That's the word. I have to compartmentalize, right? So like I'll hear some cool music. I'll I'll throw out my little email and just say, hey man, you know, it'd be cool if I could play your tracks on the show, uh, get some listens on them. And then I just forget about it until I get the permission. And then when I get the permission back, then I'm like, all right, then I dig deep into the, um, you know, into the artist's uh, archive or whatever, because then now that I have permission, now I'm like, well, let's find the songs that I really like the best, right? Because that's what I like to do here. I like to give you the best. Uh, I don't know why I did that voice. I'm debating here if we should go to the mail sack or some junk email. Oh, shit, I forgot. The the magic sword thing. All right, so we're still doing the magic sword sweepstakes. Let's play some magic sword right now in the background, okay? As you know, the magic sword sweepstakes are going on right now. You know magic sword. He's been on the show several times, makes really awesome music, and has a really fun live show. There's fucking lights and light lasers sword with it. <laughs> Am I selling this? Uh, some guys with masks and cloaks and uh, light up sword. You know, uh, anyway, you know Magic Sword is awesome. It's like the most popular episode I've ever done. So whatever. People people dig Magic Sword. All right. So how this works is I'm going to list off the remaining dates in the Magic Sword tour. If you Magic Soar. <laughs> The Magic Sword Tour, okay? So they've got a few more dates, and uh, just reach out to me however you want to. You can send me a message on Facebook, Twitter, uh, SoundCloud, if you want to go to any of these shows and let me know. It's sort of a sweepstakes, so, I mean, if we have a lot of people uh, campaigning to go to, you know, one of the the same show, then we're going to have to pick one, you know? But every week, as I'm knocking off the shows off the list, because obviously uh, people have already gone to them. So I'm debating when the hell I'm even announcing the winners. They're sort of being announced privately right now because of the way this show works, the timing of when I release new episodes of the show. It's hard to time the announcement of letting somebody know they've won if the episode airs technically after the thing that they've won. So, like, I have to announce them privately. So maybe when the whole sweepstakes are over, I'll announce all the people who won. And obviously, if you did win, you would know. And the whole point of the sweepstakes, by the way... (laughs) is to um, go and be on the guest list for a show uh, for one of Magic Sword's performances. Okay? So uh, you'll be on the guest list. You'll be able to come in. I think we're doing a guest and a plus one. And uh, your name will be on the guest list. So you'll be able to walk right in and then go see Magic Sword. It'll be a good time. Actually, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. I want to listen to another song. (laughs) And then we will do the Magic Sword sweepstakes. All right? So here is another track. This is by Orax. And this track is called Dreaming.
that was Dreaming by Orax. And that's a really cool song. Now, let's go back to the Magic Sword sweepstakes. Okay, so I'm going to list off a bunch of Magic Sword dates. If you want to go to one of these shows, message me. Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter. Private message, though. Don't fucking public Twitter this shit. And just say, hey, Andy, um, I want to go to, you know, this show on this date. And I'll put your name on the list. And uh, and that's that, okay? So, Magic Sword will be playing in Nashville, Tennessee, on October 11th at Basement East with Makeup and Vanity Set. And we got uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, October 13th at Smoke and Barrel. October 10th, Austin, Texas at Empire. October 19th, Phoenix, Arizona at Valley Bar. October 20th, San Diego, California at Soda Bar. October 22nd, Los Angeles, California at Complex. October 23rd, San Francisco, California at Makeout Room. October 26th, Seattle, Washington at Chop Suey. October 27th, Portland, Oregon at Days of the Dead Fest with The Orb. And October 29th, Hood River, Oregon at River City Saloon. Okay, so those are the dates. If you want to go to any of those shows, message me. I will put you on a magical list. A magical sweepstakes type list. And then, if you, uh, you know, if you get it, then I'll send you a message. Then you get to fucking go. And that's it, man. It's exciting. It's sweepstakes. It's a good time. Now, how about this? Let's go to the mail sack. You know, sometimes I just read people's messages. They don't have to, like, specifically say mail sack. But if someone asks me a question that I feel like is worth answering to everyone, I will. Okay, so this was a message from Slag, and he says, Hi, I was wondering if you'd be willing to do an interview with small synthwave composers, mostly those that hang around the Outrun Reddit and Discord channel. I think it would be really cool to do that, and it might give them lots of motivation and generally make their day. And then I said, I play music on the show that I like, regardless of how, quote-unquote, popular the artist are, but I only tend to do interviews with people who have a quality body of work to talk about. So essentially what I'm trying to say is, I mean, the whole point of this show is I play small-time artists, right? Because I've had people ask me before, like, they're like, oh, do you cover, you know, 80s-inspired, you know, pop acts, you know, like Carly Rae Jepsum or something, we'll have a song that sounds 80s, and I'm like, you know, maybe it'll come up in a conversation when someone's talking about production techniques and stuff, but generally, I don't think big pop acts that have, like, you know, videos with, like, hundreds of thousands of millions of views on YouTube need my help or support, you know what I mean? Like, the whole point of this is that I like supporting awesome music that is made by small-time composers, so that's the point. However, being a guest on the show, and this is something that I've learned as I've been doing the show all these years, is I like now to have somebody on the show who has a body of work. Essentially, they've got to have a bunch of cool songs because the whole format of the show is we talk, we play a track, we talk, we play a track, and so on. And also, I have people on the show who I just really like talking to, and that's a whole different thing. Like, obviously, if, you know, my favorite guests of all time, they don't need new albums if they're fun to talk to. You know, like, I'll have Adam McNabb on the show any day, and they haven't made, like, Lucas said, hasn't made music in a long time, and I'll just play, you know, a different playlist because I also enjoy 
enjoy fun people. But uh, I only know that they're fun by having them on the show. So it's a catch-22, right? So someone still has to make good music for them to then become a favorite guest who can then return later with no music. What I'm basically trying to say is, you know, with the way the format of the show is, right, the interviews are usually about an hour, and I like to play five or six tracks. And if someone, you know, has written a really amazing song, but just one, you know I'm probably not going to have them on as a guest, but I will play the shit out of the song because if it's an amazing song. And then, of course, it's also down to my own personal taste, right? So if a song is so amazing that, like, I'm listening to it every day nonstop, then, yeah, maybe I will have that person on, maybe just for a shorter chat, just to be like, look, man, you just made a song that is amazing, and I listen to it every day. And, you know, because, you know, the show is driven by my taste as well. And when I say a body of work, I don't mean they need, like, tons of albums. I mean, a few weeks ago, I had um, Giant Spirit on the show. You know, he's only got, like, one EP and a bunch of random tracks the thing was, they were all good, and I personally really like his everything he's made. And so as far as I'm concerned, it's like he's got enough tracks to fill out like a, you know an hour show. That's good enough for me. And since I really like his music, you know, it was a no-brainer. So that is my answer to the question. So I am always open for anyone to send me tracks that they've worked on. I don't care if they've got zero SoundCloud followers. You know, it doesn't matter to me. If the song is good and if I like it, I will play it. But it's all down to my sort of personal preference, you know. And that's pretty much the answer to that question. That's the long answer to that question. Anyways, let's listen to another track now, okay? This is by Makeup and Vanity Set. It's called Wave Hymnal.
And that was Wave Hymnal by Makeup and Vanity Set. And of course, Makeup and Vanity Set have a cool connection to Pilot Priest. Okay, so Makeup and Vanity Set scored a short film that Pilot Priest directed. Of course, Pilot Priest is a director. And it was interesting because I didn't know that when I did this interview with Pilot Priest. Because I did this interview with Pilot Priest months and months and months before I did the Makeup and Vanity Set one. And had I known that information, I would have brought it up to Pilot Priest. Because when I talked to... uh, Makeup and Vanity set, and he's like, yeah, I scored uh, Anthony's movie, and I was like, what? And then I went and watched it. I'm like, oh, wow, I really wish I'd talked to Pilot Priest about this, because <laughs> I like all those little connections, because I was so sure that Pilot Priest had scored all his own stuff, and uh, it was really interesting that he actually chose uh, you know, Makeup and Vanity set to uh, to do the score for his uh, short film, and it was a, you know, a cool collaboration. And of course, Makeup and Vanity set is awesome, and you can always listen to the interview I did with him. It was another two-parter. So we got the uh, conversation with Pilot Priest coming up in just a second, part two. So if I just need to remind anybody who's just tuned in, even though I don't know how you just tune into a podcast, but uh, this one was recorded on location. So if you're wondering why there's no music in the background or anything, it is being filled by the realistic city sounds of Toronto because we were sitting on a bench in a university, I guess the downtown university, which one? Was it U of T? U of T stands for University of Toronto for you foreigners. And that's the reason. But uh, I really like it, actually. It has this nice natural sound, you know, because it was a real conversation. I'd like to do a lot more shows like this, but it's always tricky in the editing because, of course, we were outside, so there was a lot of wind. So if you're wondering, sometimes there's, like, some gusty wind sounds. And unfortunately, there were some parts where the wind got, like, so bad that uh, I had to cut certain parts of the conversation out. But, um, you know, these are all the things that uh, that go on behind the scenes at Beyond Synth. And, uh, oh, shit, we got to do the Patreon. Fuck. <laughs> okay, we're going to do the Patreon. We're going to listen to one more track and then we'll go to the interview, okay? So uh, let's go to the Patreon. Of course, Beyond Synth has a Patreon. You know that. Patreon is a way that people can donate to Beyond Synth and support this lovely show. Patreon is a monthly donation system, so you can donate as little as a dollar a month. Uh, If you dig the show, you can donate more. You get special prizes. I say special because they're not very good. Um, You can actually check out one on YouTube. There's the Beyond Synth YouTube page, and uh, for all the people who donate uh, $10 or more, they get a special uh, video shout-out. I make a little video for them thanking them for donating. And I've got one up there right now that I did for uh, my special patron, uh, uh, Jake Last, who has the same last name as me. Anyway, as always, I'd like to thank Power85 and Brendan Kellum, Lucas C., Rivonia, Kai, Lunar Baboon, Knox Bello, Girls with Tails, Terrence Thompson, Nathan Winter, Russ Nyes, Paul... I'm going to say Lopez because I haven't gotten the correction yet. All right? It just looks like Lopes. And I want, I want to say Lopes so bad. <laughs> Paul Lopes. But I know it's probably Lopez. Zikorax. Tomas. 
Python Blue, Eric Valerio. And of course, there's my lovely $5 Pattersons. These people are cool $5 Pattersons. There's Lame Robot Mitchell Carswell, Dougie Fresh, Will Lowe, John Eternal, Bobby B, Devious Raven, Philip Huberger, Sebastian SW, X Riz Music, Roman, Florence Bullock, and Joe and Lando. That sounds weird. We see that's the thing. I always start with Joe and Lando. When I end with Joe and Lando, then it's like and Joe and Lando. It sounds wrong. And of course, there's my lovely ten dollar Pattersons. There's Jake Last, of course, who I just mentioned. Trevor Resnick, the Fear Merchant, Colin Bennett, and of course, the King of the Pattersons, Scotty Golden, with his fantastic fifteen dollar donation. Oh, and I forgot Hellroy with his lovely $6.66 the pledge of the beast because that is the I'm trying to think of a a thing to say (laughs) Satan (laughs) Uh, because Satan digs numbers I don't know Anyways, guys, listen, thank you very much for donating to the Patreon. I appreciate it. And you can check out patreon.com slash beyondsynth if you want to donate. But I imagine if you're listening to this right now, you'd be like, why the fuck would I donate to this shit? And you would be absolutely right in thinking that. Let's listen to another track. This is Wave Shaper and Fight Against Time.
And that was Fight Against Time by Wave Shaper off the Solar Drifter album. And that is a cool song. And I think we are about ready to go to my conversation with Pilot Priest. So remember this conversation, this is part two, and we we just listened to some cool track uh, by Pilot Priest, and then the conversation just continues. So if you're wondering why it's just sort of like this hard open and there's no real uh, setup or explanation, that is why. This is part two of my conversation with Pilot Priest. Let's talk some more about Pilot Priest. <laughs> We're like straight uh, up going on. That's, that's what the podcast is, though. Like, it's that's just good. people, like, I find. Um, it's good for people who like when they find new artists and stuff. It's like, I mean, I know it's it's stupid that it's not always necessarily based on the merits of the music, but when someone's cool, there is part of me that does get disappointed when I watch an interview with an actor I really like and then they're kind of boring or douchey or something. Like it does disappoint, even though I know like that is no bearing on the performance that I loved. If that's who that person is in real life, whatever it takes for them to get to that place that becomes like you know magic or whatever. Yeah. But you know, like I love Gary Oldman, and every time I see him in interviews, he's just kind of boring. Like, and, and but he's well, a, but he's amazing. I think but. I think he has to be. <laughs> I think he, he. I think that's that's probably when he's doing interviews, he's probably worn out. That's the other thing you have to understand is when we're what we're seeing is the worn out version who's been interviewed and asked the same questions probably a billion times. Oh yeah, like every year, every year I work for a company that does red carpet interviews uh, during TIFF. No, oh, nice. And it is like. It, it makes me angry watching it, though. Like, cause I, I mean, I feel bad for the people, but also yeah. it's like, well, hey, it's a terrible forum for questions, first yes. of all. Like, it's not it's not a good thing. But also that just all these companies that just basically, like, they're just lesser entertainment tonight. And it's like, look, you got a microphone at the thing, and there's, like, a celebrity there. Like, do something, like, fun or unique. I mean, Entertainment Tonight already has those fucking stupid things. But then at the same well, time, I had you a do friend, that. Well, you get in trouble, and, and you, then, never get, you never get uh, asked back. That's, that's the big thing is I have a friend who used to do that and uh he i guess did some ad lib questions with a celebrity and got pulled aside and told like you, you will never work in this business again like you went off script like you get in big trouble so yeah. if they don't know what's coming that's to no-no as well so it's it's a which is too bad because when you go back and you read things like uh, i i grew up reading magazines like starlog and uh, which is you know that dates me the interviews in there i was i was rereading one recently and it was one with William Friedkin, and he was trash-talking one of the actors he was working with. And I, I can't imagine that happening now, where, you know, a director's allowed to trash-talk the actor that of the, of the film that's currently coming out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really it has to be... I think there just has to be a lot of time. Like, that's the only way to get, like, true stories anymore because what in the, yeah. in the first year it's all part of the mechanism of promotion of the film and promotion of the DVD and then oh the, oh we had such a fun time and oh did you have fun on set yeah we were always joking around and pulling pranks and then it's like 20 years later that's like buddy was an alcoholic and we can yep. for me because uh, I'm like a big Doctor Who fan and it's like night and day listening to commentaries on a new episode than listening to an episode that was made in the 70s because literally like the commentary tracks for episodes that were made in like the 70s and 80s they're not positive at all like it's just the actors making fun of the special effects the production team on there going we didn't have any money that's why this sucked and the director sucked and this and that so it's nice and refreshing because it's like you know they can only do it now because like so much time has passed that it yeah. doesn't matter like the alien uh, 
quadrilogy uh, <laughs> the the Blu-ray set of that has an amazing set of documentaries. Oh yeah, it, where they basically all just trash the entire process. Yes, it's intense. But what I love, I mean, the, the making of Zone Alien. Yeah. Those I find really inspiring. Like, there's certain making ofs that uh, obviously there's like the the very kind of corporate ones that are just sort of dull about like look at all the pranks that people were pulling on set and stuff like that. But uh, Aliens, what I've always loved about that, and even though I'm not mad on Avatar and stuff like that, what I always liked with James Cameron, even though I mean you can clearly see from the things he looks like he's like difficult, but that he knew like every little detail was like a thing that he had thought about. I mean, like down to like the sound effects of the weapons and stuff, like that. That it was all important, and you can just you can just see movies where you just know that that's not not everybody's like that. It's just like oh, the sound designer will handle that. Oh, the the musical fix that, and it's like it's so cool to see a director who actually like no, like there's to. a big picture here, and you yeah. have to you have to fight for your vision um, because here's the thing is not everyone sees it and knows it. It's in your head, so you have to fight for it, and and if you understand. That, or you, if you actually believe strongly in it, then it'll actually uh, people will respond. I think. Okay, so but David Fincher didn't have an interview, did he? No, he, no, didn't. he wouldn't. <laughs> no, I, I think he's uh, he's washed his hands of that film. You know, I actually uh, didn't mind Alien Three when I, I saw when it, it came a... out. When it came out, yeah, yeah, no, I enjoyed it too. I, I mean, I had my problems with it. A lot of it doesn't make sense, and, and just sort of the. How did you feel about the uh, the Blu-ray? producer cut I guess because uh, I liked I liked I liked it but it, there was I still prefer I'd... I still prefer the the yeah the blu-ray producer cut doesn't really do anything you know mind-blowing with the film I actually still prefer the theatrical I don't know how I really feel because I I saw that film when I was you know younger and sort of that feeling has just stayed which yeah. is this is okay this is okay it has a lot of visual um mastery but not much in the story department it looks so good visually that it's hard to sort of distinguish what you like about the film yeah when i was young i didn't because i wasn't like in super nerd mode when i saw it so i didn't have the problem like had it come out now and alien 2 and like that was the follow-up and i was an adult who could go like and have some why did they just kill off the characters that we've just followed through the second film like because i know everyone has that problem and i agree with that problem but as a kid, I just saw Alien 3. It's just like, yeah, that's just the next... It's an opportunity to see more aliens. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's that's where my head was at, too. It was yeah. like, I just, I'm just i going to see more aliens, and they're going to run around killing people. And that was exciting enough, I think, for me at the time. And it looked really good. Yeah. Um, it is a beautiful-looking film. Let's uh, let's, uh, let's talk about some Pilot Priest. So, <laughs> so in the... Uh, <laughs> we just can't... Yeah, Pilot Priest is pretty boring in comparison to Blu-ray special features. Well, let's... Uh, so there's the 30 tracks. Now, what, what inspired the... Uh, the naming conventions of all the songs because they're all mostly kind of like 80s references there's yeah they're they're i think they all are except for like one <laughs> i think they're all um and and the one i think is canyons which is inspired by the paul schrader film uh of the same name i actually sent that track to paul schrader hoping that i would be able to uh by chance score the film <laughs> when you were doing that then i mean you talked before about you know writing these certain things and ha- being in a certain mood and like sort of like yeah. exercising that mood through music so did were the titles were that also driving like i want to make this sound like something that belongs in the films or were the no. titles just afterthoughts just no to- no it was it was an emotional connection to so if you hear the song that's the emotional connection that most resonates with how i feel about that film okay right 
like how do I feel about that film it's that like so they're named after films that gave me a similar emotional feel well let's talk about uh, one of my favorite tracks which is Quest for Fire oh nice
Oh man, it's been so long. It really has been a long time since I've wrote those songs. Um, I don't know. That one was, as you can tell, it's a very different vibe than my usual music. Uh, it's uh, more uplifting, I guess. Does it feel that way to you? It's, yeah. it's hard for me to sort of. It's bittersweet, but it's 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 uplifting in a weird way. And I think that's what I take away from the film Quest for Fire is that I don't know, and that's why I named it that. It was is. It just gave me that same feel that that life is 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 immensely hard, and we. <laughs> it's hard to get deep and, and talk about what made me do anything. Really, I, I think that's the hardest thing for oh, we, me personally. We covered that. Yeah, is, is to just talk. It's God. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's God. Um, no, it, it's really hard. Yeah. To explain where I was coming from, I just sat there, and, and those notes spoke to me. And at the end of it, it felt like quest for fire. Yeah. You were talking about how how you get images in your mind. Well, afterwards, you know, after I wrote that and seeing a picture of, because I have a crazy huge Blu-ray and DVD collection, is if I go through and I don't name this song right away, I, I'll just be there and watching movies and which I do often, uh, rewatch lots of old films and uh, just that image of Radon Chong with the makeup. It was like that's that's the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do this a lot with people who, when I talk about their music, is like they'll have a specific sound and then for some reason I always end up talking about the standout tracks that deviate from it like that's my thing to do yeah, yeah. well that's good but these have all, right. all been tracks that I've listened to I mean it's cool that you respond to that track because it's not something that I would think would be something that people respond to yeah. <laughs> I really do come from a place that I'm blown away that so many people have, have written to me and, and like the music because like I said when I write it I'm not writing it like to make something that will be a hit do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so, so it's really cool. But I think you do have some songs and, like, some of my favorite tracks that would have, like, a mainstream appeal. But I think it's the beats, right? Because a lot of people who make the synth music, they're also using retro-y 80s beats. And I know that some people just have an aversion to that. Like, they hear an 80s beat and it's just like, oh, 80s music. Like, and that, that's their reaction. And it's not my reaction because I love it. You yeah. do have, like... A modern sound well, to the, the to the actual like it's important the beats. to me to not just emulate. That's the thing I will say about the compositions is that while I love you know what Vangelis did and, and Tangerine Dream, if I just copied them, like what does that do? Like it doesn't really, it doesn't excite me. Mm-hmm. Um, like and it really doesn't add anything to the library, the human library. You right, know? It right. doesn't really add anything if I'm just copying or oh that riff is exactly like that person would do. It just so happens that when I play something. It ends up sounding like Vangelis or Tangerine Dream, but it's not that I want it to. It's just that's what I write. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Which maybe that that's just because I've, I've listened to too many of their soundtracks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I try to merge that with something that is interesting to me and, and is adding something. Because if I do just do a, an 80s beat, then how, like I said, how does that add anything? How is that mine, in fact? Right. Like, if I'm just copying, how is that mine? But then I guess one could argue, since we're all borrowing from the past, I guess I guess maybe there's, more, there's more blatant exact, ways yeah, to borrow. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. you go, that beat is just like that, or that drum sound is just like... A lot of people say, like, well, some of my drums sound like Phil Collins. Yeah, sure they do. I love Phil Collins' drums. But is there uh, uh, an exact rip? No, I don't even listen to Phil Collins while I'm recording this stuff. It just so happens that I like the sound of that reverb. You know? Right, right, right. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I, I, I don't know if I got an answer, but, like, did they ever release, like, you know, like, the Legend soundtrack? 
with the actual like the best I remember like there was a release and the best song or my favorite song the unicorn theme from legend yeah. wasn't on one of the and I, I ended up I downloading think, it like it was like some rip of some German thing or something yes. like off Kazaa like no, this is back no, in the no, days I of Kazaa I have that, that that theme where did I get I got it on iTunes I have that theme somewhere on iTunes but I think it's performed by someone else because it is a really beautiful composition yeah I don't know I maybe that song is from one of their albums I, I'm, I'm probably going to get skewered online for not Well, no, because I've but. never known, because, like, when... I mean, I'm thinking back in the days when, like, file sharing first started, because I was just at Kazaa, and, like, you know, Kazaa and Napster. Well, and I remember that's I don't where... Think, I don't think it's named that way. I think it's a, a song... Oh, I see. Right, see, right, like right. One someone of their it. Yes. And so it's not the unicorn theme. It's someone called it the unicorn theme. It is actually named something else. So you'd have to look at... I bet you if you just did it... If we did a quick Google search right now, we'd find it, so... See, sometimes Google's great, and sometimes it takes the fun out of remembering back in the days when you'd have an Use argument over a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't miss the arguments. Uh, it's actually kind of great. <laughs> no, actually, it's this song. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, something similar to that happened recently. I was listening to the Risky Business soundtrack, which is another great one. Um, and... Uh, I recognized a bunch of songs from their their album, so they were album tracks that were just thrown in as, and they weren't on the soundtrack. So right, then you're correct. Then maybe that's maybe that's the reason. Well, I think that might be the reason. Because that always blew my mind when I like you know downloaded the soundtrack and was like, well, this seems to be omitting the song. That's like the whole thing that got me attached to it. Yeah, I mean it's the same with like video game music and stuff like that. Because like there's a lot of really beautiful compositions now in, in game scores. And, uh, you know, like a great game score will get me into a game. Absolutely. Uh, I own all the soundtracks to the Silent Hill games because they're so good. Uh, For me, I'm a a big... uh, I really love the... um, What the hell's his name? He does the Elder Scrolls, uh, Jeremy Soule. And he does all the scores for, like, the, uh, the, the Elder Scrolls series. And, like, some of those are just these really pretty compositions of just like orchestral kind of stuff I think it was the same reason why when I when I liked Legend was you know when I first saw someone playing an Elder Scrolls game like big open world like RPG but it was playing this like soft piano tune against like strings like walking in in the night or whatever and I remember just going like wow it's like it just didn't it, it, it it just hit me the combination of just this this beautiful kind of you know fake you know countryside and and this song in a game that's essentially running around like swinging swords and throwing fireballs and stuff and oh, it's important uh, talk to friends of mine who are designers um, all the time and how important it is to sort of think of things in terms of of juxtaposition you, you that's when things get interesting and that's why legend was interesting the first time you saw it was the visuals don't match the music yeah like traditionally like you would imagine what they should have put in there and that's what the director's cut has in it which is again I love Jerry Goldsmith but his score is what you would expect in in that film and the Tangerine Dream score is not what you expect and that's why it becomes instantly interesting one of my favorite scores by the way is totally weird is is, uh, Lady Hawk yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, because it, it doesn't match the visuals. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you, but that hit me as a kid again. Like and like, I was running around with a stick, you know, as a kid humming that song, uh, the theme, because it was really, really odd. And I think that's what. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what makes those things stand out? Again, I mean, I always bring up Doctor Who because I'm a fan. But like, uh, BBC had the Radiophonic Workshop, and uh, 
which they use for some of their shows and they would just play really weird trippy synth music at a time when like you're watching an american program that's got like i mean the music i also like like you know like retro 80s kind of stuff and then meanwhile like doctor who's in these weird experimental sometimes i mean well it's one of the be- best bass lines of all time well yeah like the theme song <laughs> doctor who is is phenomenal like it is like, my, yes. one of my favorite uh, just theme songs but when we talk about risks i guess you know like risks and in filmmaking and stuff and how like there isn't really a lot of that now and, and like the mainstream you know it's all pretty calculated and so it's fun to watch an old show where it's like wow like they're just no one's putting them in check like there's an old Doctor Who episode where the music it's like you know it's in the 70s so you know they're plugging wires into other wires and like and yeah. it literally sounds like like robot farts for like an episode like it's just insane it sounds like a like a like a synth kazoo yeah. like it's just the, the, the yeah. most bizarre thing you've ever heard in your life and they're just experimenting and, and it's just yeah. like and they just did it and I don't think it works but it's like hey they they, they, they tried they did an experiment whereas like now I just feel like there isn't that experiment phase it's like well and to be fair the experiment phase is missing because of what we did you know um, we chose as as people that we wanted movies for free and therefore the movie industry can't take risks they can't it's, it's, like it has to industry. appeal it has yeah. to appeal to has so to, many people yes, so that exactly they can, yeah. so we have now in, in the movie industry we have budgets that range from one to five million dollars and then we have ultra huge budget movies and we have a few like very few middle budget and the mid- middle budget is where we all of our favorite movies came from yes. that's where all of them came from and that's gone it's mm-hmm. gone because it can't it can't sustain itself because that, those are the movies that people just download yeah and uh, we're actually to blame because we want movies for free and we don't want to pay for them yeah I'm not saying I do because I have a crazy collection of DVDs yeah. and Blu-rays, but I'm I am a weirdo. Well, see, today. for me too, like I do I do like owning physical content. Yeah. So like that is because I remember like there's a few years ago and the PlayStation Network went down. Games I had downloaded didn't work because for a day there was a stupid glitch in the PlayStation Network that caused a fault with the clock, like the internal clock of a of the PlayStation and even games you'd legitimately downloaded and paid for it opened up this glitch in the system and you couldn't work them and I remember just going like ooh I don't like this I don't like this because I know you can you know Super Nintendo isn't like a super sophisticated piece of equipment but I like that you know, in 20 years' time, if, like, all my systems were broken, I could hook a Super Nintendo into a TV and it's going to work. I mean, well, it should work. <laughs> it, it might work. It might work. There's a better chance of it working, yeah. So that's why it's always good to have the fucking the physical shit.
fucking black hole, the track black hole, your oh. track. What is that whistling? What's that's that me, from? That's me whistling. Because I love that you can even hear the breathing and stuff yeah. too. Like, so I always thought I'm like, I'm like, is this from something? Like, I listen to it. Sometimes I feel no. like an idiot. Like, there's questions I don't want to ask people. <laughs> no, because it's me were, whistling. Okay, so okay. it's me breathing and whistling, and many, many takes, and therefore my my breath is in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, that's that's, that's a super catchy fucking melody man that, that, that's like, that, that riff was uh that was actually written for an mtv campaign uh i wrote that one for an mtv campaign in 2000 and the end of 2008 or 9 the idea there was to write a riff that i thought could sort of sustain this entire campaign and people hearing it over and over and over and, and not right. getting sick of it and and the campaign was built around um people coming together people from all different places coming together mm. so I immediately thought of Buckaroo Banzai and the ending scene in Buckaroo Banzai, the end credits where they sort of all gather together from these sort of points and, and come together as a group. And, and it had a theme that was much like Black Hole is, where, where it's just a simple riff that builds and builds and builds. Hopefully it achieves that sort of uh, feel of just sort of community and 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 nostalgia that was yeah. that's sort of the feeling is community and nostalgia well the hook yeah the hook of that song is is strong what did you do for mtv like were you were you actually like on staff or were you like just doing stuff on contract I, I was on staff for a number of years and i did all of the in-between um interstitials and the music for the in-between interstitials right and then for and then i left uh to direct commercials uh, but I was called back to do the 2009, I believe, uh, campaign. So, like, you live in Toronto. Yes. But you have this sort of back and forth to L.A. thing going on. Nowadays, so. nowadays I'm back and forth to L.A. Because I, luckily, luckily I, I made a short film that people uh, liked. And I got myself a management team and a great uh, agent. And uh, now I'm working on a number of features. Ooh. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. All yeah. secret? Uh, no, well, no, not secret. One of them is uh, science fiction being produced by uh, Brad. Pit. Uh, uh, the other is I'm about to go and start scouting. Uh, produced by XYZ and Davis Films. Davis uh, did uh, Chronicle and Predator, um, and XYZ did The Raid. And uh, it's written by Nathan Parker, who wrote Moon, which I don't know if you've seen that film. Yeah. Another great soundtrack. They're all great so things on. you just yeah. mentioned. The yes. Raid is fucking. Yeah, so okay. so I've I've got a, yeah. a a lot of good things in the works, and we're about to film that one. And I just uh, we got Thomas Mann, who was in Me Earl and the Dying Girl. He's in the lead. Okay, and uh, it's a really cool story that Nathan uh, created, and uh, I tell you more as things happen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we hit stop. Yeah, we got to talk about my like my favorite track, which I've listened to a billion times probably off this album Xanadu, which is just a thumping good time song I guess <laughs> my, my musical terminology is bad thumping it's a, thump, it's a good. thumping good time song dude. yeah I guess so uh, but this song uh, I, I love Xanadu I've, I've listened to it so many times and thought of so many different ways that I would use it if it were in like a thing pretty much every every project I've tried to start Xanadu was always a song I was listening to as either a cut to credits track or a cut to the title scene track because it just it's like one of those tracks that just has that power of like this is when you fucking cut to black you know like just on and you want it you want this movie to end in a way that's gonna get people going like that film was fucking awesome it ends with the the, the build up at the two minute mark right and right when yeah. it kind of drops back into the main thing and it gets like heavy again it's like that's the moment that uh, 
we either cut it's to the black. Tra- it's the trailer moment. Yeah, that's the. We either cut to black, and then everyone goes like, "That movie was amazing," or the cut to the opening words. That's when the words like fly on the screen, just fucking laser storm. You know, like that's that's the moment. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's what I see when I when I when I picture that thing because it's awesome. Like it's just such an awesome song and just big. Oh, cool. I'm glad you like it, man. Uh, yeah, uh, again, hard to explain how it sort of came about, but uh, we we talked a bit about this before at the diner, which was, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll write riffs and just sort of go into sort of a, a state and just listen to these things over and over and over and over. And, uh, and uh, that was one of them where that, that repeated sort of synth riff just... I don't know <laughs> something yeah. about it. I and then I just sort of built everything around it. Uh, a simple and oftentimes that's how it happens. A very simple synth riff that I will just keep piling things on until they work. I love uh, that sound. That brassy, this that 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 retro with the. I can't do it, but I, I guess I love I love that sound. You have it a lot of times, like in this uh, yes. this album, yeah. and it is a great sound. It is a moog.
do you build up like a sound library where you're like you've got your setting and then like okay like now nah, I like that sample or where it's at and I'm gonna make another song and start and use that, that as the yeah, as the thing or you know weirdly enough no if you listen to the album it sounds like they're sort of similar but not really you know there's a couple of all from scratch or do you take one and then say I'm gonna tweak it a bit more for this next so, track sometimes 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 I tweak from previous settings I think it's important on an album anyways to be somewhat consistent. Yeah. You know, so you're not going all over the place, especially on a 30-track album. Yeah, it's also important to make 30-track albums. Uh, on a 30-track <laughs> album, it was hard to keep things consistent and not boring, that's for sure. I tend to start from scratch. Um, every once in a while, I will take sounds, and you'll hear them. You'll know which ones, like toms or snare or something like that, and just transplant it over and just rewrite something with that sound. Um, uh, but yeah... And yeah. I used to sample a lot. I don't sample as much anymore. And now most of it is done. It's played by, like, all the guitars and bass and everything that you hear, it's all me playing, so. So how do you feel then, like, in terms of, like, the, the kind of the styles that you do? There are some tracks where you, like, take chopped up sort of samples and stuff. Not, not like, there's not many of them. But that is something that sort of like crops up from time to time. Yeah, I'm thinking what a, what's popping into my head right now is the baby, baby, come on, or whatever, like yeah. that type of thing, like that selected. Yeah, well, that uh, sometimes I'll just find a, a sample pack or something. It's really funny. Like there were like. I'll buy a sample pack or something really cheap or like computer music. I used to get stuff from computer music and, and they sound like really, you know, sort of like run of the mill sample packs. And then it's just sort of I, what I you love, do. I love. It's what you do with it. When you, like on new keyboards that would have like the vocal samples and always oh. be like the bass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, had, I had a keyboard that I used even on that album a little bit, uh, the DJX. Yeah. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible keyboard. Did you ever hear a sample and I, I remember there's this one in, there's one that really stood out to me because it was like there's like some vocal ones where like they said gibberish words yeah like and bass yeah bass is like the one I always love the bass and then there's this other one and I never understood what it was supposed to be or if it was like some term in music that I never heard but it's like it's a DJ voice again he's like a big bag a big bag like that and it was I, I, I heard it on like several keyboards and I was like what is this nonsense sample like while all the other ones were just like dance yeah and like a woman's voice going like ooh or whatever like and then there was just this booga booga big bang I, I, use, I use those things all the time yeah, as sort of like for fun they're fun for me and, yeah. I, and I think that you know that's part of you know when you're composing if you're just like Mr. Serious all the time I'm never Mr. Serious I'm, I'm just writing for me and just sort of enjoying it but yeah I, what is the now be the light uh, the new one of my newer tracks uh, is full of just like samples from those you know computer music <laughs> yeah. libraries Thank you. 
you know, <laughs> I've worked with those keyboards and used those samples from hilarious uh, old. I always want to be the guy who makes those. That's got to be the. F- you know what? I, no, th- that's you the- don't. I, I, I have a feeling that that those people are paid nothing, and their sample packs are raided and bought as library for nothing. I imagine that they are poor and. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. No, I know, I know. It's like a funny that, thing that, to say. That, that, no, it's no. That's the funny thing about music is that. The fact that I'm able to to sort of continuously put out stuff and have people enjoy it in this age is really cool because music music has just as much value <laughs> to people as as movies do now. Yeah. Uh, maybe it has a little bit more um, because people like to listen to music on the go, which you you know. But uh, it's weird to think you know coming up from you know how our childhood was where if you liked a piece of music you had to go buy it or tape it off the tv yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> that's um yeah i did that i remember oh, yeah, yeah i had a oh, yeah. tape even like you'd still get dialogue and shit because i because oh, yeah. i when i grew no, up like i also put really the loved tape recorder up to the television yeah. and record it off the speakers sometimes yeah. i yeah. actually figured out you know late in the game how to run my tv into the tape machine and actually record it but yeah we had um i mean we had an amp so uh, there was a way for me eventually to do yeah. that properly, but uh, it's still, you know, I was still recording things that had dialogue and sound effects over them, like if I really liked the, yeah. the piece of music. And yeah, when I was young, I mean, that was, that was the stuff that I listened to a lot was uh, like Danny Elfman's scores and things. Like that was what I liked when I was, when yeah. I was growing up, just because I didn't really buy much music. Like I didn't have a lot of cash on me. So like it would yeah, be like friends either. who had money, <laughs> like friends who had yeah. things. And it was like, I was at the whim of their taste, but I would pick and choose what I liked from their stuff. And so, um, you know, I think a big part of it was just when like David Bowie and started doing stuff with Nine Inch Nails oh, yeah. around that Lost I'm, Highway I'm time. Afraid of Americans. Yeah. Remix. Yeah. That's, and so it was absolutely re- amazing. Yeah. And it was around that time that it's like all these things came together because of the connections. So it was like already listening to Nine Inch Nails. Then it's like David Bowie's working with Nine Inch Nails. So who's this David Bowie? Like that's me discovering David Bowie was in the nineties <laughs> through Nine Inch Nails. That's interesting. Discovering David Lynch because Nine Inch Nails connection to the soundtrack, uh, right? Lost so then, Highway, yeah. And then all these things tie back together to this. Oh yeah, and then uh, Driver Down on on the Lost Highway soundtrack is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds yeah. awesome. Oh, it's so good. It's just an awesome build, right? It's just like just like five minute, just like just keeps getting heavier um, and heavier. Like so good, uh, so good. I would love to use that in something one day. I mean, that's the thing too. And we talked about before this. I think that's before we were recording. Like I was saying, like my idea. I would love to see like remixes. Or you you named it. The idea of like remix cinema, where you take elements, the things that work, and put them into movies, new movies, making use of old ideas that maybe were in movies that didn't work and. Sometimes I feel that way. Like, I mean, I, obviously there's certain songs that you can just use a song again, but it sucks when, like, a song is, like, tainted. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like, a great song is used in an iconic movie scene, and it's just, like, they could never be done again. But if that iconic movie scene sucks, or, like, you just sit there and go, like, oh, but this could be so cool if it was, you know, to this thing. And, yeah. I have a couple of those up my sleeve. I've been saving some tracks that are haven't been used yet that are yeah. so perfect. There's nothing more disappointing... When you hear something and it's like you feel like oh no one knows this track and it's such a great song you're like one of these days and then they if I get do. to be a big shot and then all of a sudden you'll see it in a TV show and like a wasted like did they just use that song and fucking Gossip Girl or whatever you know like there's this <laughs> my wife well, used to watch Gossip Girl I've recently started submitting some of my uh, music for television shows so you might uh, you might hear some Pilot Priest in some television shows that might make you uh, cringe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we'll see. Well, whatever. I mean, like it's, 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 it's the it's only ex- way to make. It, it actually is the only way to make money now. Is licensing. It's the only way to make money off your music. And but I, I don't hold. I mean, that's the kind of thing. I mean, it's a funny thing to say, but I would do not, especially with people who, uh, a lot of people who I talk to. I mean, they're all like, you know, guys like me. They all have real jobs, yeah. and they just make music on the side. And so, honestly, like, there's no to me. There's no such thing as like at this at this level like of selling out or shame. It's just like, dude, like you made money on a fucking song you made. Like Amazing. fucking congratulations. No, no, it is, it is. The, the only shitty thing is if you lose, if you sign yourself into a bad deal. Yes, and that's why I sort of got out of the the whole sort of being signed thing. I don't think being signed to a label makes any sense for electronic musicians in this day and age. I mean, you're making it in your computer, you're mastering it yourself. Like, who? What do you need a record company for? Distribution? No, you've got it online. Uh, everyone, you know, maybe you could say, well, they, they could market it to a mass audience, but at that point, I think there are a lot of us who don't you... have any illusions to what kind of music we're making. We're not making music that everybody wants to listen to. Unless your label is huge, because, you know, for a lot of people that I, you know, music I listen to now, you know, like I say, like there's these small-time things, and then these small-time labels that are just just another guy in his bedroom and then he's like now he takes 25% or whatever because he's labeled and you know when people say now just like <laughs> that's hilarious. oh I'm, I'm getting I, you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna release this thing on a label and if anyone ever says that to me now I'm just like why like what unless there's a few there's a few labels doing retro music where they well, actually do stuff well so and the cool instance, thing is like like I, like I was gonna say like original motion picture soundtrack is gonna be coming out on vinyl soon with Waxworks or Waxwork Records that makes sense they're they're a great label and and they do you know really really quality vinyl releases and that's why you get you know in contact with these people and you work with them is so that you can make something really cool out of it not right. just to have a label or say you're signed to a label you know? yeah it's like a thing that sounds good. I know like in like the second and third season of, of my podcast I had like sponsorship things at the start of the show and they weren't real like they were real bands but it's like they weren't paying me to so it wasn't necessarily a sponsorship you know it was just like I like their music and so I did like a little ad just because I like the sound of it I like being able to say today's show is brought to you by so and so but it wasn't but it wasn't real right it was it was there just for show just to yeah. make it sound like a professional thing because oh, it sounds professional to be sponsored by something yeah brought to you by Carl's Jr. yeah <laughs> so I understand it but at the same time I feel bad when someone's like losing a percentage just to some other guy just like them who's not adding or like I know I know some labels that are still small time but that they that they do a final master or something like the band will send them a track and they'll send them the stems and then they'll you know they have more expertise in mastering and they'll clean it up for them and do stuff like that and I'm like at least then it's like okay like they're doing something for you like they're actually yeah. like but it, half the time it's just like yeah they'll put it up on their Bandcamp page and I'm just like put it up on your own Bandcamp page like, what do you need some asshole because to do that for because they think that they have a lot more you know viewers but and they the, don't here's the reality of, of the work is that if the music's good hopefully people will find it and, and if it isn't they won't and so you can't really force it you can't go okay well if I'm on this label that has like 10,000 followers more than me that's 10,000 people who are going to see my music but if they don't like your music they're not going to listen to it or buy it so yeah. in our generation if something is good people like it then they'll find it and they'll they'll listen to it mm-hmm. and definitely I think it's just it's a, it's that time you just got to sit on stuff for a long years and, and you can tell decades. the people who drop off yeah exactly <laughs> like decades yeah that's the weirdest thing is that I've been doing this for a long time it doesn't seem like a long time but I've been doing it for a long time and and it is still a huge source of joy, but it is still not my career. Yeah. 
Well, that's that, cool that you're doing like the film yeah. stuff. I mean, like that's impressive. Well, that was always the goal, and and I only you know it's weird. I always love doing the music, and I I've done the music you know since my teens because it is a great outlet, and it's something that I. I always want to do, but it was never the goal. I always wanted to make movies. And so the fact that I learned how to, you know, do this also helps with the movies um, because I can score my own films.
what about the stuff that, that you're about to shoot? I mean, like, is that in L.A.? Like, is that where it's taking place, or is it going to be up no, here? No, we're going to be shooting that in Canada. Okay. Um, and, uh... Well, I guess it's going to be good right now with the dollar being so shitty, right? Is like, <laughs> well, that's part of it is that you can stretch your budget a lot more. But also, I you know I want to be near the comfort of my home and and also uh, be able to go and location scout on the weekends. You know, like yeah, yeah. If I have to go to Los Angeles or wherever, um, it just it costs more out of the budget. So um, I'm going to try and make as many movies as I can out of Canada. And I also love can I love Canada. I mean, this I want to be a Canadian filmmaker. I want to you know make my movies and have them distributed worldwide but i want to be a canadian filmmaker a lot of people give canada shit and you know when i was a teenager i i was probably one of those people because i didn't understand that that you're not you know owed anything and right. i think sometimes filmmakers have a tendency to go you know canada's shitty we make shitty movies we don't make shitty movies we make movies we don't have the population that can sustain like because i'd be one of those people who would say things like that you know and it's because but well, when you're a teenager it, you don't know anything right so that's and, part of it and also i mean there's some things that are great like when it's clear like the vision of the the auteur or whatever you know like i love kids in the hall for example well, that's david cronenberg's like, a canadian filmmaker why do yeah. people forget that when you go oh canada canadian films suck it's like no they don't have you seen david cronenberg's films have you seen mary heron's films like american psycho is one of my favorite movies of all time mm. she's a canadian director a canadian filmmaker here's the thing is there's there are bad television shows everywhere. and bad movies everywhere and because we have a smaller population you're not getting the sort of the same cross-section think about how many bad movies and 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 tv shows come out of every country yes is, and i think that's what people are sort of missing is that we do try those things but we don't try enough because there aren't enough people here no also people give and i do this too where it's like oh yeah i like british shows well guess what okay Yes, I've, there's you're been only, some great shows, and there is some fucking trash. Well, you're only getting the good ones. That's the other thing is that you're we're, they're only sending us the movies that have and films and, and things that have gotten past a certain point yeah. of quality control mm-hmm. and have shown that they work in other markets. And I'll say the same thing. It's like ah, Canadian stuff is so cheap, and then meanwhile, it's like but you're I like Canadian. I, I <laughs> liked I liked I liked two shows from the state. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I really liked Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. Well, that's two shows of a thousand and think about the 600 like reality shows that are well, cheap think, terrible garbage think about the population too like, yeah. like they have so many people there we can't compete really intelligent people who can write something like Breaking Bad come every once in a while they're special people yeah and so we and can't it's magic too I mean like yeah. there's there's the magic of cinema that works it's a needle that spins both ways because sometimes like there's things that are magically bad yeah and they and are we, more we, special we, than we have some magically bad Bad films here in Canada, and one of them I'm actually going to try and, and tomorrow I'm having a meeting, and we're going to we're going to try and do a release here uh, of a Canadian classic that no one knows about that I grew up watching in my video store job, and uh, I think you know the Alamo Draft House is going to have a good piece of competition on its hands with this one because it's it's a special film <laughs> and it's it's really funny, but it's really great and it's really heartfelt, and the, the filmmaker is an original, uh, you know. It's 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 the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> so we we do have those here as well. You know. Well, we'll end on. Uh, talk to me about campus. We're on a campus. Oh. And you you had a little single thing called campus, which I dug.
it's now on on the on the album. WW. Uh, <laughs> I can't even remember my own name. My own album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a, is it? Uh, WWDKF, which uh, I'm not going to tell you what that stands for. WWDKF. Yes. Is it something I should know? Yeah, that's the album. No, I mean, like, is that should I know what that oh. stands for? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's the album. Yeah, Campus. Uh, Campus. Uh, a designer named Lauren Wood reached out to me to do what would essentially be the soundtrack to a book, which I, I thought was really, really cool. Hmm. Um, and that's how Campus came about. Was 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 that's the soundtrack to the book uh, Nothing But Mech Three? It's basically, you know, a book filled with the top Hollywood sort of concept designers doing robotics. Okay. And so, in the book, there's a link to my stuff and, and essentially that that was the purpose of that was I was writing a song that would be a soundtrack to these modern mech designs right 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 and so I was obviously inspired by uh, movies of my childhood I got a question doing a you know now that you're in like sort of doing some kind of big time shit how, how, how privy are you to um, to like budget stuff how privy am I to budget stuff yeah like, is that part of your conversation? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, part of my thing is that I am somebody who makes movies for less than traditionally thought possible. Right. Um, because I do a lot of the VFX and, and post work myself, but also that I have sort of a VFX supervision background. And so I'm able to sort of devise creative solutions Yeah. so that things can cost less. So, yeah. And I imagine you're embedding that into how we build how you're going to build a movie exactly Exactly. yeah well that's cool oh no I'm just no I'm curious (laughs) I find it interesting no I've got some friends who are VXVAC supervisors on just because there's so much stuff shooting in Toronto now yeah yeah absolutely I've done my fair share of VFX supervision and implementation Mm -hmm. what's your uh, program of choice when you're doing stuff well I'll do you do 3D or do you like an After Effects dude I do do 3D Um, I use Cinema 4D and I, I composite in Nuke and After Effects I love After Effects yeah, no, it's great. Um, it's, uh, I started an After Effects version. Oh my God, this is going to date me. Probably version three. I wonder they on now. Christ, I'm using CS6, and I think I still have to upgrade to the cloud one, but I don't want to do it because um, it's going to fuck up all my projects. Yeah, well, it'll it'll mess up with your plugins. That's for sure. <laughs> We're now on plug-in talk. <laughs> that's yeah. the always thing that, that bugs me because, like, you know, I see I see so many cool tools where I'm just thinking, like, how well, fun it would be now to do just a very basic cartoon where now you've got, like, that mouth mapping technology and stuff. Like, yeah. you could do a really quick thing, but I know, like, the second I update to CS6 or to uh, the cloud version, yeah. now I'm going to be in debt to that program because now all my projects are going to be linked to that one which means I'm going to you know and I, I don't want to well yeah I'm too broke to like make that leap the leap of, of paying monthly yeah it, it, see although technically it does kind of make sense I mean does. like I paid a grand for fucking After Effects and like no. 40 bucks a month for like the suite like well mind you that's 40 bucks US so that's it like is. 200 Canadian yeah I know it keeps going up my <laughs> I, I just saw it pulled out of my uh, account last month and went what I thought this was for <laughs> yeah no yeah. yeah no it's too bad but I'll say it's worth it. I will also say this, that Adobe needs to um, work on bugs. <laughs> yeah. The new versions have many bugs. 
Yeah, it's always a pain in the ass. Because the puppet tool is... I love using the puppet tool. Yeah. But the puppet tool can be, like, the glitchiest nonsense thing. And, like, I've had a lot of crashes because of something I didn't think... I always... It always turns out to be the case, but maybe that's the same way with everybody. Where I... Um, I should point out, we're walking down fucking Queens Park right now. Like, yeah. we're... On a big, we're, on, we're on a walking tour. <laughs> walking Toronto. tour Toronto. Yeah. But I find... It, it always seems like the effect that I want to accomplish is always some sort of ambitious thing that requires some trick. Even when I don't even think it's that ambitious of a thing, I'm like, well, this will be simple. It's just going to be this like this laser that bounces off a roof, and then I just can't get it to work, and I'll go and look at nerd forums, and it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can't do a bouncing laser, not without implementing like this script, and uh, you're going to need this plug, and it, it all of a sudden just becomes this, like, Oh, why is it that every time I just need to do one little thing, it just you know turns out to... You know what's funny is that I tend to do all my VFX with brute force. All the VFX that I've ever done in movies are almost computer versions of how they would have done it at ILM back in the 80s. And so everything I do is, like, so bouncing laser exam- example is I would almost keyframe everything. Right. So I, I don't look for scripts or anything. So a lot of people make fun of me because I do things so backwards, but the result ends up looking better for some reason. And it's also nice to, because I have no mathematical brain, so when I see a script... It is, it's meaningless, gibberish. Like, it doesn't help me get better at the craft because it just doesn't mean anything. Like, when I can see, I can break down a project file and actually see the elements physically, or, I mean, as physically as you can be digitally. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you can really break it down by layer and go, oh, here's what I did here, here's what I did there. That's so much more helpful in the actual understanding and moving forward. When I see, when I copy and paste a script that somebody else made, I look at that thing and it is, it's nonsense. Yep, it's true. Well, (laughs) it's only nonsense, not nonsense to the person who created it or somebody who understands. Like, I'm not somebody who understands that stuff either, which, yeah, it's why I've slowly moved away from doing VFX and now. Right. But it's fun though, like I never really got into 3D, like so I sometimes I'll do so much busy work just to fake a 3D effect without being 3D, just because I because I never did it, you know, so like I know that that mindset of of doing it with brute force, yeah. Brute force is how you how you own your craft. And especially for people who, who don't who haven't gone to school, that's how you have to own your craft. It's it's the hard knocks of, of of creating stuff yeah yeah, yeah. you you have no other way except for mistake making mistakes so do you want to go to Louis Vuitton uh no (laughs) (laughs) we're we're now we're now at at the corner of Bloor and Queens Park and I think well you want to fucking wrap it up yeah let's wrap it up that's why I was bringing you this way so we're slowly slowly, because you said you were going to walk it so (laughs) so I'm I'm slowly uh, I've got about an hour and ten minute walk from this zone well or you could just go downstairs but you won't I will not so there you go but hey today's a lovely day no it is I know for most people probably people who live in LA who uh, come here this would be horrible but it would be horrible. Is, are we even positive today? Is yeah, we like, are. What is this? Four? Uh, probably we're, we're approaching zero now because the sun's going down. But it was it was at like I believe eight earlier. <laughs> yeah. Eight well, anyways, we'll, we'll wrap it up. So yeah. I'll say uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. This has been this has been fun. I've never done one like this before. So this is fun. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to edit. I might have to make it like a bonus one. That's yeah, just going to be like because there's no way to really put 
insert the tracks in naturally the way that I normally would because I do it full on cheesy DJ style like where I will go like yeah and now it's time and of course like when my voice is processed it sounds yeah. a lot different no 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 it's, it's cool uh, this is how I have most conversations with people in my life is I uh, I just walk around with them yeah yeah I'm not, I'm not even joking this is how it, how it, how it happens mine usually so. involves video game gold and I and like sitting on a couch and mindlessly playing uh, video games and chatting that's how you have an I, N64 hooked up well I still uh, sometimes I'll boot up an emulator I do have it but it's uh, I found yeah, an emulation where they like combined the assets of GoldenEye with the engine of Perfect Dark so you have like you have the customization options of Perfect Dark it's called GoldenEye X and they've unearthed the files that were hidden in the GoldenEye cartridge of being able to play as like uh, George Lazenby and Roger Moore and no way! Yeah, GoldenEye X. But you need it. The problem is a, a good emulator. Because N64 emulators are all fucking... They never mastered the emulation of the N64. No. So did you find one? Sort of. I run a Mac. My wife still has a, a PC. I have both. So. Yeah. So I think there was one called Project 64. And there was there was a thing I downloaded. Maybe I can, if I can find it, I can send it to you. Where they... It's like super where they actually made it so the game ran at a smooth frame rate by a whole bunch of crazy tricks, but it's not efficient. Like, you can't do split screen and also do the, the smooth uh, frame rate thing because, it, I guess, since it's processing four screens yeah, simultaneously, yeah. it doesn't do it right. That's fine. But it is... I'd it's, be playing it by myself. But it's mainly for the multiplayer. This, this was special because we always loved GoldenEye and I loved Perfect Dark but I loved Perfect Dark for the option sets because you could have bots and you could customize weapons and save your yeah, statistics but I always preferred the look of GoldenEye and like the, the bond of it you know and well, so exactly like that that game was the intro that was me returning to video games yeah because I was off them for a long time yeah 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 so yeah GoldenEye was the return for me Oh, it's a special game, man. Yeah, it's the first time you can kill innocents. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, for me that was really important because once I I beat that game, I went back. I went back. I went back. No, once I was done with that game, I went back with the golden PP7 and just would walk through every level. And the best part was you could kill like story specific characters like yeah. Oromoff in the opening scene when he's holding oh yeah, yeah yeah you could kill Oromoff with the PP7 and Sean Bean and you'd be like I just killed the game yeah, yeah. I just, like the game is done and it would be done like yeah. nothing else would happen after that and you'd be like this is so great you could break the game instantly with their yeah. own cheat it's so good <laughs> yeah that's really for me it started the, 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 the return of video games I, I in fact am going to make a video game at one point in my life and the next Pilot Priest album actually will be um I think it'll be like the re- full length album will be a video game so that you, the only way you can experience the music is to yeah. be in the game yeah that'd be cool yeah that's exciting stuff so man that's the end of the show you want to do like a goodbye into the mic goodbye <laughs> <laughs> I just made him do that in the middle of a busy like one of the busiest streets in Toronto yeah. all these people and it's very embarrassing alright no it's not And that was my conversation with Pilot Priest. That was a lot of fun, that one. I'd like to do more like that, and maybe one of these days I will. Maybe when Pilot Priest isn't so busy directing his movie, maybe I'll just have him on again. But I'll do it in studio, because I like to do these sort of interviews where we where I go someplace and maybe do, like, on location. But it is tricky, because you have all these other sounds to deal with, and it is a lot harder to edit. Especially when you've got, you know, like, people talking in the background in a cafe, or when you're outside, you're just, you're at the whim of all the 
craziness, and it is hard to uh, edit out. But anyways, guys, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, it means a lot to me, man. I don't know what I'm doing. And of course, go and check out all of Pilot Priest's music, all right? He's one of my personal favorites, and I think once you actually check out uh, his albums, you will also agree that it is awesome music. And don't forget the uh, Magic Sword sweepstakes, and don't forget to have a lovely weekend, all right? I'll talk to you guys next time on Beyond Synth. I'm the awesome, I'm the awesome, breaking all the rules with